Well, good morning, church. It is uh, so good to be here today. And if, I haven't, if we haven't greeted you, then just a very good morning to you. And uh, it's just, we can't believe that we are here. And uh, it's a privilege to be able to come and share God's word with you. It's a privilege to stand here in this building that we've looked at many times over the internet and photographs and praying and thinking about uh, coming here to, to visit you here in Sunderland and Silksworth. And so, just a tremendous privilege. And so thank you for the warm welcome. It's just been so amazing to have uh, spent some time with some of the folks already and uh, just the warm hospitality we've received. So a very big thank you to everybody so far. It's my privilege to come and share God's word with you. And if you'll turn with me um, to the book of Acts and chapter 15, and we're going to continue the series that... uh, You've been working on, and uh, I've been a little bit of a part of this along the journey. And uh, instead of sending a video message in one minute and 49 second intervals, and and you saw it in one piece, I trust, and uh, we sent it in lots of little pieces, I'm able to stand and share from God's Word personally. That's just so amazing. But let's, let's pray once again. And just thank you for leading us in such a wonderful time of worship. Worship is so important as our hearts are prepared. Worship draws us to bring worship because that's what God has created us to do. Worship also helps us to understand who God is. It also prepares our hearts for the Word because the Word is central to worship. It's central to our worship service here today. But let's come once again and just ask that God would bless the Word to our hearts, even as we pray for us a physical meal at... at, uh, dinner or tea time, uh, we're going to pray that God would bless our time as we come to the scripture. Let's pray just for a moment. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word. Thank you for the power and authority of the scripture. Thank you this morning that we, we come here with a high view of scripture because it's come from you. And even as we come and we join the journey with the apostles in the early church in Acts once again, we pray that there would be a word in season for our hearts, that you would come and minister to us and bring blessing, bring challenge. Lord, that we will go away knowing that you have spoken to us, that you've changed our hearts, that you've molded us once again, because we long to grow in you. We long not to be stagnant in our walk, but to develop and to draw closer to you and to know you more. And so even as we examine the scriptures here together today, we pray your favor and your blessing upon it, and may your word do its work that you intend for it to do in our lives. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts chapter 15, and uh, I was relieved when you announced Acts 15 that we're going to be preaching on, that I've got the right text here today. But we're going to read quite a long portion here this morning, and uh, and so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, I'm reading from the 1984 edition of the NIV. Uh, I'm not sure what version you have in front of you this morning, but we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 35 today. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and be required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this I will return and rebuild David's, David's fallen tents. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord, does these thing, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth that we are writing what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You to, ob 
you are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch. When they gathered the church together and delivered the letter, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Now, after spending time, some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with, this blessing, with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Just so far in God's word today. So this morning we continue our journey with uh, the apostles in the book of Acts. And in previous chapters you would have seen that Paul and Barnabas were persecuted and, and Paul was even stoned and left for dead in Lystra. There seemed to be great opposition to the gospel message. And then they moved on and in Derby there was a more positive result. And then they returned the return journey to Lystra Iconium, Antioch, and Sidon, and all those places, and they returned just witnessing what God had done among the believers. And at this point, that we pick up the text this morning, that they had gathered the church together and reported all these good things that God had been doing among the Gentiles, not the Jews, but among the Gentiles. And that's where we come to this morning, and we open the text, and we see something very strange going on. And so I've entitled the message this morning, A Counterfeit Gospel. A Counterfeit Gospel. If I take a note out of my wallet, and uh, we've got a few different kinds just from our travels here this morning, but maybe I'll take a, take a South African note here this morning. But how do we know if this is real or fake? How do we know if this is a counterfeit and so just by way of illustration this morning, just think of this banknote. And we're going to come back to this banknote just a few times to try and just understand the message and understand what we need to learn from the text this morning. But if we want to start somewhere, there's this warning that we have to beware of counterfeits. To beware of counterfeits. And we see in the book of Acts that there were people coming in with false teaching, with the wrong teaching. And this is nothing new. It happens in our day and age. Time and time and time again in ministry, I've come across people who want to add something to the, the gospel of grace that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a message of warning and encouragement. It's also a turning point in the book of Acts. One commentator has said that this point in the book of Acts is a watershed moment. It's a defining moment. It's a defining moment for the early church, and it's a defining moment for the Christian church as we understand that this is what we need to hold on to and believe. And once we've got this, we will understand what counterfeits are, and we'll be firmly grounded on the grace and the roots of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what was happening. If you go back with me in those early verses of our chapter, it says simply, Some men came down from Judea 
to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. And, and, and this is what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they came and just, they came among them. They didn't shout from the outside of the wall, but they came among them. And there's a wonderful chapter in, in John chapter 10, and Jesus speaks about uh, the good shepherd comes through the door of the sheep pen, and, but the thief comes over the wall, and sometimes the thieves come over the wall, and they come amongst us, and they come with this and that, and they cause confusion and chaos. And this is what these men were doing. They, they didn't come through the door. They didn't come with authority, but they came over the wall and started teaching people in the church, hang on a moment, you need to, you need to still be circumcised. You need to still be holding on to the law of Moses. It's interesting that when people come, they say the right words. When people come, they speak the right, right language. And even as we read these early words here, we see that they recognized that people needed to be saved. You see that terminology you and I know. We know what it means to be saved. But here they'll come in and say, well, do you want to be saved? Of course we want to be saved. Are we saved? Yes. Well, you're saved if you do these things. You see, on the surface, the language sounds good. It's easy to mistake the real thing or the, the false thing for the real thing. I don't know how many people use cash nowadays. I think we're using cash less and less. On the island, we use cash quite a bit. And uh, it wouldn't be too difficult for us to easily just pick up a counterfeit banknote as uh, the person at the checkout just gives us some, some change and, and we wouldn't know the difference. We'll just pick it up and put it in our wallet. It would be so easy to do that. And this is the kind of danger that there is with spiritual untruths. It looks like the real thing. And maybe just if I pick it up quickly, I'm going to just slip it into my wallet. It kind of looks like the real thing, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. This is a true story. Apparently, some guy a number of years ago uh, started printing some St. Helena banknotes from his home printer on the island and tried to get away with it. I don't think he got too far with it, and he certainly couldn't run away. And, and so they caught him, and it was a bit foolish. It, it's just lots of sea around us. And, uh, and this is what they were doing. This is the warning that comes through. They were adding to the work of Jesus. It says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Friends, it's so dangerous. We hear good things about the gospel message. We find, oh, this sounds really good. And people come, yeah, this is the language. These are Christians. And I hear it so often. There's so, mis so many misteachings on the island. We need to pray for that. And, and I'm sure that goes around here too in the United Kingdom. And it all sounds good on the surface, but when you start to dig, you find this phrase, yes, you can be saved, but Christ plus, somebody once said this, and I learned this statement, Christ plus anything else is heresy. 
Christ plus anything else is a counterfeit gospel. And here's the strong warning, this watershed moment that the early church had to face up to and deal with. And there's lots of lessons for us to learn from this for us today. You see, there's danger in this counterfeit gospel. There's danger. You know, might might say, well, if we don't realize that we have a counterfeit banknote and we just go, and the person that we um, that's at the counter that we're paying for something doesn't realize it neither, then surely it's not so bad, is it? Or maybe if we don't realize that this is a false teaching, maybe it's not so bad. It sounds good and it's almost right. It's almost they're just a little bit different. Surely we can be a little bit tolerant on this. Surely there's a little bit of, of, of leeway with regard to the truth of the gospel. Friends, we need to be warned about this. And, and the apostles just heard this message that was being taught and said, no, we can't, we absolutely cannot accept this. There's no leeway. We need the real thing because there is no substitute for the real thing. There's a, a well-known brand of soft drink that you can buy, and I think I'm not sure if they still use the same branding, but in South Africa, the branding was the real thing because there's lots of counterfeits, and some of them don't taste the same. But the real thing is the real thing if you like that particular brand of soft drink. But let's have a look at just a few things here, some warnings about the danger of counterfeit gospel, the counterfeit gospel that we're picking up in our text here this morning. I'm going to ask if you just jump over a few verses, and we're going to have a look at the letter that was sent back to the church. In verse 24, it says this, We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Do you pick that up? The danger of a counterfeit gospel is that it troubles our minds. You see, the real gospel brings peace and reconciliation. The real gospel comes and settles our hearts. The real gospel comes and brings reconciliation to God. But the counterfeit gospel always comes along and says, well, yes, you can have that, but maybe there's just a little bit more that you need to do. Maybe you need to do this. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to do this to be saved. There's that sense of, have I done this right? Have I done enough? Am I really saved? As a young man at the age of 13 years old, I had the privilege of, I gave my life to Jesus at the age of nine, but at 13 I was baptized, and uh, what a privilege to go through the, the waters of baptism and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. But I remember around about that time in my life as a young Christian, I would doubt. And I would always ask the question, am I really saved? Because sometimes it didn't feel saved. Sometimes it didn't feel like this had really happened to me. I realized my humanity. I realized that I would fight with my brothers. I realized that I would sin and, and do the wrong things still sometimes. And I went to the pastor and I said, Pastor Brian, you know what? I don't feel saved. And one of the most foundational things in my Christian walk 
that has ever been said to me, he said to me in those early years of my Christian walk. He says, Paul, you know what? You're not saved by feelings. And then he took me to the scriptures and he says, this is why you're saved. This is how you're saved. These are scriptures that you can stand on. And for me, it was done and sealed from that point onwards. I never needed to doubt because coming to the gospel, the gospel brings us peace. It doesn't bring us condemnation. It doesn't bring us to the point, well, have I done enough? Well, I need to do something else. And a counterfeit gospel is always going to be saying, well, Paul, have you done enough? Have you done this? Well, you need to still do this. Are you having the Sabbath day on the right day? For example, there's a, something going on in the island with regard to that. You're not allowed to eat pork. Things like that. I'm reminded of the passage in Ephesians chapter 6, speaking on the armor of God, put on the full armor of God, and he gets to this part of the armor of God and says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know that scripture, don't you? Yeah. You said the word peace before I've even been able to say it. That's good. You see, the gospel is a gospel of peace. It's not a gospel that brings discomfort, that brings, have I done enough? Am I really saved? We can stand on the power and authority of God's word. The second danger about this counterfeit gospel, and perhaps the most important one as we examine these this morning, is that a counterfeit gospel puts on a yoke. It puts on a yoke that that Christ has never intended for us to carry. Christ has never intended for us to carry. If you turn back with me to verses 10. And this is what Peter says to to those folks who are are teaching that they need to be um, circumcised and hold on to the law of Moses. And he says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. It ties in a little bit with my previous point, doesn't it? We carry this heavy yoke. We, we can't bear this. The, the Israelites could never bear it. The gospel is, is a righteousness, is righteousness that's been revealed from God and apart from the law. And here they are with this counterfeit gospel. This, they're adding the law. Yes, you can be saved, but you need to do this. You need to hold on to the law of Moses. No more eating pork. And you need to be circumcised. And you need to do this. And you need to have your Sabbath on a Saturday and not on a Sunday. You need to do these things right. And friends, I want to tell you that this is happening in our day and age just like it is happening in the times of Acts. Remember the passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 onwards, where Jesus invites those who are weary and heavily laden to come unto him and he will give us rest, to take his yoke upon us. We often use that devotionally, don't we? And there's certainly his application there. But the real context of that is speaking into the Jewish culture of Jewish laws that, that were burdening the people so much with all the rules and regulations. And he said, Jesus says, you don't have to do that to be saved. 
You need to come to me and come and believe that I am the Son of God. Come and believe that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why he says, come unto me, all you are heavily laden. And he was speaking to a people that was heavily laden with the Pharisaical law. All these things added to try and please God. Yet we can't please God in our own strength. Paul Winnie speaks to the Galatian church because in the Galatian church exactly the same thing was happening. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. What is it with human nature that we can't just stand on the grace of God that somehow we think it's not enough? That time and time again, men and women are trying to add something else. Or, or maybe, yes, Lord, thank you for your grace, but I still feel I need to earn it, so I'm going to bring something else to the party. No. And the Galatians were under the same opposition as well. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. And Paul makes it very clear as he says this to them on this very issue. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, in other words, if you accept anything else other than the grace of Christ, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. What is Paul saying? Paul saying that if you want to say that you need to add circumcision to, to be saved, then you need to look at the rules about eating pork. Who likes pork here? I think most of us like pork, right? Then you need to look at the rules about when the Sabbath days. Then you need to look at the rules of doing this and that. And all of those Levitical code that you and I and the Israelites couldn't even stand up to themselves. Were you going to do that? Then you need to look at the whole law. And we can't. Because the law exposes us and we find ourselves falling short. The law condemns us. We stand guilty, don't we? It's the simplicity of that. Here's the third thing here. The third danger of this is that a counterfeit gospel is subtly brought in. And in our text we see it simply says that some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. And it seems likely that they just slipped in and were able to teach. It's like this counterfeit note that just gets slipped. I'm not saying this is a counterfeit note, please. I don't want anybody to go to the police station and say, Paul's got some counterfeit South African rands. I don't, I'm, I'm trusting that this is an original one. And I haven't studied them enough to know if it is, but... It was, it was given us to us by a shop in the airport, so yeah, I hope it's okay. But you see, these things can just be slipped into our wallets, can be slipped into our lives without us realizing. We're going to talk about how we, how we discern the real thing from the counterfeit in just a few moments. But the danger is that these things slip in. Again, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and this is what Paul says. This matter arose because false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. And make us slaves. Make us slaves. False gospels and false teachings make, 
make us slaves to yokes that Jesus has never intended us to bear. And friends, this morning, if you and I have not understood the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we have, if we have not understood how we are saved and the means of our salvation, we are going to find ourselves still slaves to yokes that God has never intended us to bear. See, very often Christianity has become a religion instead of a walk and relationship with God. God hasn't intended us to, to be a, about outward religious acts, but it's, it's about an inward change of the heart and an inward repentance and faith in Him. Paul continues and says, We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. Might remain in you. So those are the warnings of a counterfeit gospel. But I don't want to spend all the time on the warnings of counterfeit gospel. But let's have a look at this defining moment in the life and ministry of the church. This defining moment that defines us today because here in this chapter is one of the most concise statements of faith in terms of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the means by how we are saved. It's this moment that defined them and it defines us. And before we go to that in just a moment, I want to go back to this bank note. How do I know that this is a real one? How do I know the real thing? Well, apparently, those who kind of like sort out counterfeit banknotes, they don't study the counterfeit ones. What they do is they study the real ones. In fact, they know the real ones so well. They know the details of the printing. They know the details of the signature. And on the South African banknotes, you have the signature of the governor of the Reserve Bank of South Africa. I don't know what the UK ones are like. There's, if you hold it up to the light, there's a metal strip in there, and there's a water, watermark of uh, Nelson Mandela's face in it, and so on. And so they would know all the details of the real thing. And somebody who's able to pick up, pick up counterfeit banknotes, they don't pick them up because they know the counterfeits. They pick them up because they know the real thing. And the moment they pick up a counterfeit note, they're able to tell. And so for you and I, the best thing that you and I can do to protect ourselves against false teaching is to know the Word of God and to know the truth of the Gospel message, to study it and study it again and to bathe ourselves in the Word of God. That is the best protection that you and I can have against counterfeit Gospels in the world today. But let's have a look at these incredible defining moments in this text today, these defining moments that you and I can take with us in understanding the significance of this. This is what Peter says firstly. He says this. In fact, I'm going to read just the portion as Peter addresses them um, in verse 7. Peter got up and addressed them and said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. The last time I preached here um, in all those bits put together was Acts chapter 11, and it was Peter recounting the story or the, 
the account that God had given him the message that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well, if you remember that just a few chapters back. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. And this is so foundational. It says this, For he purified their hearts by circumcision. Does that sound right? No, just, just testing. Okay. No, it's he purified their hearts by faith. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Isn't that wonderful? We should be, Amen. Because this is the foundation of our faith. It is by grace alone. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. It is not through circumcision. It is not by not eating pork that we are saved, for example. But it is by God's grace. It's not by our works. It's not by human endeavors. It's not by being a good person. It's not because of my family history. It's not because I was baptized at the age of 13. It's not because I do this and that and give to charity. It's, that's not what saves me. It is by the grace of God because in me and myself, I am undeserving. And yet it is God's grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor to sinners like me. We see the second bit of evidence here is this testimony that Paul and Barnabas gives. And it says the whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among who? Among the Gentiles. How's it possible? If God wasn't working amongst the Gentiles, and if God required the Gentiles to do all these rules and regulations, God would have made them do them first. But yet we see these Gentiles, these uncircumcised Gentiles, we see that God is working amongst them, and that He's given them the Holy Spirit too, as Peter has already testified, and Paul and Barnabas are affirming to Peter's testimony. So is God working amongst them? Yes, it is. And the evidence shows that it is by grace that they are saved, not by stuff that they've done. And then James thirdly goes on and he quotes that Old Testament passage from Joel. You'll see in your Bible there from verse 16 to, the, verse 16 to 18, um, often it's printed in a different format. And it says this, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. All the Gentiles who bear my name. Because God's grace, if we're not Jewish today, is for us too. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? That's so good for us to know.
And friends, in this defining moment in the history and the life of the church, we need to understand that salvation is by the work of Christ alone. It's by the work of Christ alone. There's, there's so many passages we could have a look at. Um, if you want to turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 6, verse 10. Romans 6, 10. There's, there's a few that we could, could have a look at. And um, it says simply this. The death he died, he died to sin. Listen to this once for all. Once for all. How do we know this is the real? We come to the scripture. How do I know it's by grace that I'm saved? It's the scripture that says that Jesus has died for me once and for all. Once and for all. No longer is Jesus on that cross. No longer is he in the tomb. But he's died once and for all. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and David quoted that scripture. I smiled as he read it out this morning because I have it in here too to share with you. And uh, does anybody want to repeat that scripture, verses 2 and 8 and 9? Do you know that? Can I, get, can I dare to get interactive this morning? Does anybody know that scripture? Can you quote that? Anybody want to dare to quote that scripture? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that we are saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well done. Not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the gospel message, isn't it? It's by God's grace. And then Romans 3 verse 21 says this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Is that powerful? We could preach another whole sermon on that, but I won't do that one now. So what did Paul and the apostles do? What did the council in Jerusalem did once they established this, this defining moment and they understood this? They did understand it. They needed to just clarify this with the churches. They sent a letter back and they gave simply, just if you look at the text, they gave simply some brief instructions. They said, you don't have to be circumcised. You say by grace. You don't have to do this and that. But these are the things that we do recommend. We do recommend that you abstain from these things. We do recommend that you abstain from sexual immorality and so on and from, from food sacrifice to, to, to idols in this particular instance. And, um, and he gave them some guidelines. But we're not going to put a yoke on you because Christ has saved you. And no yoke is going to save you. Christ has saved you. But in obedience to Jesus, go and do these things and live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And that's what we find is that that defining moment in this chapter, this lengthy chapter in the book of Acts, Acts 15, that God comes in this watershed moment. How do I know this is the real thing? 
because Christ died once for all. And it's not me, and it's not the stuff that I do. Amen. Yes, that gives me liberty and freedom in Christ. Not a liberty and freedom to do as I want, but a liberty and freedom from guilt and sin. And a liberty and freedom to live a life worthy unto His name. And that's the grace and the mercy of God. And so if we're going to take just some simple things here today, just, just very briefly as I wrap this up, we need to be warned of the dangers of counterfeit gospels. Friends, we need to be aware that people are going to subtly come and asleep, slip in a, fa- a fake banknote. We need to be aware that somebody's going to come along and say, yeah, that's all great, but you still need to do this. What about eating pork? Well, maybe you still need to celebrate these festivals and so on. Maybe we need to rope this Old Testament thing in here. Friends, we need to understand the gospel message. And we need to make sure that we know it so well that when a fake one comes our way and it comes in between our fingers, we're able to tell straight away, hang on, there's something wrong here. Let me go back to the Word and just check this. We need to be reminded and rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ. It was just amazing how the songs that were chosen this morning just pointed towards this of Christ's grace and the sufficiency of the work of Christ, the sufficiency of His love, the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus upon the cross. And this last point, I'm sorry, I've already said that. To know the truth. Know the truth to discern the counterfeits. So friends, go away this morning. Being encouraged. It's not stuff that you and I do. It's the grace and mercy of God. Go away and worship. Go away reflecting on the scripture. Those incredible statements. Um from Peter and that incredible defining statement no we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved let's pray together as we close shall we do that our loving heavenly father we thank you we thank you for your word that is powerful that has authority Your word that brings blessing and hope and restoration. Your word that brings freedom from the yoke of slavery to law. The the yoke of freedom from the yoke of slavery to religion. Freedom from the yoke of slavery to counterfeits. That your grace sets us free. Your mercy is abounding. Your love. reaches down into our lives thank you for that thank you for this defining moment in the life and ministry of the church in acts and lord i want to pray that this would be a defining moment if it hasn't been defined in our lives already that we can understand perhaps even for the first time today that i can't do stuff to please you to earn my salvation that I receive my salvation by your grace, and then because of my faith, because of my trust in you, because of the, the filling of your Holy Spirit in my life, that then I therefore go and do these things in obedience and in love for you. 
And so, Heavenly Father, may you send us with the blessing of your word. May you send us with the, the hope of your grace into the rest of the day and into the days to come, Lord, to the glory and to the honor of your most holy name. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.